Okay. You know this morning when God speaks to us about a new chapter, that cannot be entered into. Whenever God speaks, faith is now. So the moment the word of God is spoken to us, faith has to come to us at that moment. If you go away and think about it and you decide tomorrow, that's not coming into faith. That's you mentally working it out and coming into agreement with something, but that's not faith. Faith is a response at the time something is spoken and declared. And it's the response of your heart that says, we need a new chapter, we're stepping in. I believe God for this new chapter. It's not just because God said it, it's will you believe with him for this new chapter. It will not happen just because God has spoken it in here. It will work for some, but not for all. For all, Why will it work for all? Because some won't partner with him and feed and water the ground. Amen? You've got to water your ground, folks. Water your ground. You're very quiet. Without developing faith, you'll never walk, you'll never taste, and you'll never enter in without faith. And you'll never become triumphant. Everything God speaks to us, he does through faith. It is impossible to believe, uh, to, come on, it's impossible to please God without faith. So it's the core ingredient of everything. It, it, it's the core nature of your response to what God says. Now, for, every, for everything God speaks to us, faith will be required. Everybody understand that? Every, for everything, everything, everything God speaks to us, everything God speaks to us requires faith. Without it, you cannot please God. This is how important it is. So, understanding this, God has been making a fourfold. How many? Fourfold emphasis to us in this season. Fourfold. You say, what fourfold? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go back to the beginning of this slide now. A fourfold. We've been talking about from Matthew 6, from 25 to 34. We don't need to read it this morning because we've been reading it every week. It's about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he's telling us about not worrying about the things. Okay, because the pagans run after the things. And the father's saying, look, I don't want your behavior to be the same as everybody else's. Because if you require everything in your life the same way they do, they're in a mess. So if they're in a mess by acquiring, going about things the way they go about, I don't want my children to be in a mess. I don't want my children to become rats in a race that they were never designed to run. You're meant to run a different race. It's a victorious race, and it's meant to be run with faith. It's meant to be run with the saints. It's not meant to be run the same way every other person's running their race. Yeah? People, you know, when you look at nice cars and you, and you see these people thinking, wow, he must be well off. No, it means he must be well in debt. Not everyone can afford a brand new car, but a lot of people are driving them. So don't, don't desire what other people have got. Don't desire what other people have got. Yeah? yeah? So, how many of you know that you have needs? Yeah. Everybody got needs? Yeah. I've got needs. And you know, with every need, 
Very often, our needs reveal our emotional behavior and our thinking. How we think about our needs and how we feel about our needs not being met can create, an, uh, can create um, a spiral within us. How many of you know that? Of course you can. God doesn't want you to be affected the same way that people are affected. By faith, God wants you to trust him and believe. And he also wants you to take some steps so that you can do certain things differently the way other people do things. And that requires wisdom and insight and principles and blah, blah, blah. These needs define us, define our thinking and they define our behavior. Each day people go about their daily business doing all kinds of things to get all their needs met. And you know, not all of them, but some of them are not righteous. The guy who robs your house, the guy who steals your car, the guy who, who, who uh, does fraud on your bank account, he says he has needs and he goes about meeting his needs in a very unrighteous way. The boss who uses the company leverage to get what he wants at the expense of the employees is the guy that's trying to get his needs met, but he's doing it at somebody else's expense. The guy who wants to be fulfilled, so he ignores his wife, he ignores his children, he does everything about him, is all about him and his needs, while other people's needs are not being met and being overlooked. There are many ways we can go about getting our needs. And this is the primary emphasis that Christ is asking of us as a house. Do not become like the world. If we are meant to be salt and light, we cannot become like everybody else. And this is a great challenge for many of you because you have needs and, you're, and there are opportunities that you, or you see things as opportunities in your companies or in life, but they're not the right way to go about it. Yes, they're not. Listen, just because someone waves, uh, waves a pay increase to you does not mean it's God. This is the problem that so many people, well, I get another five grand a year, I get another four grand a year, but it's what they demand from you. And the direction it will take you in, you're better off without five grand rise and stay free. Well, I have my needs, but you become a prisoner if you go down this road. Well, it must be God because there's a rise involved. If your interpretation of God is money, then be careful. Then your, then your love is for mammon. And you'll, be, and you'll be taken in, in a direction that is very, very dangerous. So the first emphasis is that you have need. And God knows you need. But he says, don't worry. Don't become like the rest. So God's acknowledging you have need. Second emphasis is that you have lack. You have needs and you have also lack. And it's the lack that I believe God has spoke to me about and shown me and give me some wisdom and insight into that your lack is very different from your need. And though these words are interchangeable, they are definitely individual words that create all kinds of problems within us when we don't understand the difference between lack and need. The emphasis that we've been making here is, is that don't, very often, got you, your lack is what delays God from meeting your needs. Now that's a mind blower. Think of that for a second. Your lack is what delays God 
from actually meeting your needs. God knows you have needs, but because you will not let him deal with your lack, all you're focused on is on your needs and wonder why God won't meet my needs because you have so much internal lack. Mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, there are things that are so undeveloped in your life that all you're thinking about, if I got my needs because I'm undeveloped in this area, I can never hold on and work with these things because I'm so undeveloped. So let me give you an illustration. Let's just say, Phil is the love of my life. Is a woman. So is Phyllis. Phyllis. Phyllis is the love of my life. Right? So I pursue Phyllis because she is my desire. Right? But only to find out when I catch her, I have nothing inside of me to lead. I can't lead Phyllis. I have no ability to love Phyllis because I'm expecting Phyllis to fulfill all my needs. But I have a lack. I have a lack of manhood inside me with which to raise this woman up and take her into destiny with me. But I've got needs. Well, woohoo for you. It's your lack that's going to kill your marriage, not your needs. Oh, we just said something right there, fella. It's your lack of resources that gets you kicked out the house, not your need for money. Now, that might sound a contradiction. It's not. I need my lack of resources, not just money. If I cannot... If I cannot look after my wife and provide for my wife in many other, money's only one area. A house needs a whole, many, many things, not just money. Money will get you in trouble just as much, as fast as it can get you out of trouble. And if you've got lack in your heart, it doesn't matter how much money you get, you'll never be able to use it righteously because you're lacking that area. And this is why you need to come aside and let God put some things inside of your life that you lack and you don't know you lack until God exposes them. And, you can, and this, is why, this is why the prosperity guys will always, will always work and will always make money. Because they appeal to your needs. But they never deal with your lack. And if they can deal with your lack, I guarantee your needs will get met a lot faster. It's gone quiet. It's true. So the emphasis is on needs. The emphasis is on lack. God's trying to help and shine his light on these two areas. The third emphasis is that in order to supply and deal with what you internally lack and physically need, there is a grace. Grace comes. Are you saying grace will meet all my needs? I'm saying grace will meet your need and your lack. I know the grace of God is sufficient. It's more than sufficient. Paul says, he gives us the window into this. When he says, Lord, I've been, I've been without. I've, I know what it's like to be shipwrecked. I've, I've, you know, and, he, and he puts his whole list of all these needs. All those needs. But then he says, but I have been more than compensated. By the grace of God that has been supplied. And the richness that this grace then poses for my life. The grace of God is the game changer. 
and how the grace of God works is what you lack. To understand how the grace of God works is the game changer. So you're saying, if I get some grace, I didn't say anything. I'm telling you what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us about grace and how grace works in the life of a church and how it works in the lives of God's people. When Paul wanted, when Paul had this need of this thorn in his flesh to be removed, what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you, but I have a need here. But God was dealing with his lack. In that area, God was dealing with his lack. Now, some of us need a good thorn in the flesh. From, r- rather than you being a thorn in the flesh to somebody else, you need a thorn in the flesh. That causes you to cry out for the grace of God. Amen. It would have been so easy for, for God to say, yeah, I'll remove it. But God knew exactly what Paul lacked and what he needed. So, that's the third emphasis. So, the third emphasis is on the grace. God is trying to reveal to us the importance and the power and the purpose of grace in our, in our church. Yeah? So it must be, it will, once the grace comes in, it then begins to change your behavior. It begins to change your nature. It begins to empower us in a very different way than before. Because grace is given to support, to underpin, to empower those things you can't do without it. Am I talking to Christians this morning? The the fourth emphasis God is making is on his kingdom. And on his righteousness. Guys, there's only one way to succeed. And that's by righteousness. There's only one way to win. By righteousness. Very difficult in this world when everybody is looking to see who's not looking. Everyone, politicians, are looking to find ways to do things they shouldn't be doing without anybody seeing. Righteousness is, a, is not just a principle, it's a, it's a pattern of life. It's an attitude, it's a walk. And if you and I don't have righteous behavior, how I deal with one, how we deal with one another, how I think about one another, oh yeah, thinking about one another, how I deal with you, and how I speak to you, and how I deal with other people. You know, this is what happens when you start, and your heart and mind starts getting tuned to the things of God. I've had this happen to me twice now in the last maybe two months. Have you ever been into a shop where you buy something and the guy gives you more change? Than you did, than, than, you, than you should have given you. And at that moment in time, you think, am I right? And I go away, put it in my pocket, and then I pull it out and I go, oh, yes, give me a couple of quid more. Well, Carol and I were, um, were in, went out for a meal. And we got up, we walked out, and when I got home, I had some money in my pocket. And I thought, what's this money in my pocket for? And I thought, oh, no, I haven't paid for the meal. I walked out without paying for the meal. Now, some, most, some of us would say, ha, got away with that then, didn't I? And God says, and I felt like God say to me, so what are you going to do now, son? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go, I'll go. Two weeks had gone by. 
Not because I didn't want to go and pay it. I didn't struggle. I just thought, I will go back. I'd made the decision in my heart. Next time I'm down there, I will go in and pay it. And I did. And I walked in. I said to the fellow, a couple of weeks ago, I was in here. And uh, I had a meal. I said, my wife walked out without paying. (laughs) I said, my wife walked out without paying. And I, I had to take her home and sort her out. And he said to me, what day was this? I said, it doesn't matter. I said, here's the money. He said, what did you have? So this is what I had. I said, there's the money back. He looks at me. Wow. And then I goes to the one stop up there. The guy gave me three pound change. Same thing again. Went back the week later. Here's the money. He said, no, you don't need to give it me. I said, yes, I do need to give it you. I said, I've got three pound in my hand that I should not have had. So he said, well, the tills have been sorted. I said, what's that? You got a tin there. So we'll put it in there. I'm leaving it with you. Because now righteousness is beginning to test me. It's only £3. It might only be £20 here. But it doesn't matter. If I can ignore those things, what other things will I become dead to? God's watching me. God's testing me. You can't win any other way if you're a Christian. Except by righteousness. So God is... I like to think in that, way, in that little small window I've just shared there, that, that was just one little test of whether I will seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's just one little small area. There's going to be other areas. There's going to be private areas. There's going to be other things in your life and my, my life. You might think, well, 10 pounds, nothing. 20 pounds, nothing. I beg to differ. It is. He was faithful with the small. He was faithful with the much. We'll be given much more. So we don't want to win by deceit. We want to win by righteousness. Young people, when no one's looking. Mum and dad will never know. But dad knows. This father knows. It's not what you can get away with. Well, I was going to tell him. Tell him. What you were going to do and what you did do was two different things. So when this grace comes, we win by righteousness, do we not? We win by righteousness when we receive the grace of God to empower us and and enable us to become, to live in that righteousness. He says, be righteous for I'm righteous. Be holy because I'm holy. And I give you everything you you need to be these things. I don't just tell you to do these things without giving you the power to become. So whenever grace is released and whatever grace is received, lack and need can be eliminated. So let me just pick up those words there. Whenever. Wherever. Grace is released and grace is received. Lack and need can be eliminated. When I left my company, I had more needs than I had money. My father-in-law says to me, what about these children? Who's going to put shoes on the feet? Who's going to go da-da-da-da-da? My father-in-law was concerned about me being leaving a well-paid job to come into the ministry. And I said to him, you'll never have to buy my meals. You'll never have to pay my flights. You'll never have to take my kids on holiday. The God who called me will will supply all my needs. And I often tell my father-in-law that. I say, Jack, do you remember when you spoke to me about this? He said, yeah. And he always goes, aye, 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 I know. I said, Jack, the guy who called me is still paying the bills. I said, I'm not in need. I'm not in need. I have all that I need to get the job done. Well, some of you say, well, your house, you can have a better house. Of course I could. I could have a better car. Who cares? 
Nothing wrong with my car. I tell you what, my car starts more than yours does. And it ain't as expensive to fix as some of yours. Isn't that right, Scott? You can fix mine with duct tape. (laughs) So Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to eliminate need and lack, then this is the key principle you need to embrace. Ephesians 3 verse 2 says this. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. What's that grace given for? It's given for every carrier and every receiver. So there's a grace given to a carrier so that it can be imparted and transferred into a receiver. Let me say that again. There's a grace that comes from heaven to one fixed point so it can be imparted and transferred into another fixed point. And those people then become the carriers of grace. God's grace. So you're the receiver. I'm a receiver. But you also can become a carrier. But you can't carry what you haven't received. And you can't carry what you will not receive. Just like petrol, I carry a tank of petrol. Albeit it might only be a couple of quid's worth at times. It might be a full tank. But guess what? I won't get far if I don't keep topping it up. So grace has to be increased. Just like, like, just like the spirit dimension upon your life, just like the word dimension. It has to be increased. If it's going to go from you to others, it can't just stay in you. That's consumption at its worst. It's meant to be released. Yes? So, let's pick it up again at verse 3. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already briefly written. In reading this, you will able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to many in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. There is an obligation placed on a pastor from heaven above to administer what this office is all about. There is an obligation from heaven above. There is a commission. In other words, there is a legal license to obtain, to carry, and to distribute. There is a legal, a legality about this to receive from heaven, to retain it, and to distribute it into other people. That is my legal responsibility from God above. So the question is, who are they who's going to receive what this man has ob- is obligated in God? Well, it's those he leads. Because he's a fivefold ministry. So he, he does it in the church. So if we have the church, we need a congregation. And if you're the congregation, then I'm talking to the right people. So, the iPad's gone off here, hang on. Here we go. So he has to impart what is received legally now he's obligated in Christ by the spirit of God to find those he can impart this grace into but not everybody wants it not everybody's looking for it not everybody thinks they need it but everybody lacks it and there's a difference and some lack it in various capacities so we see straight away that there was a grace given to me for you that's what Paul said so he legally 
righteously obtained it from heaven. It came from above. He was the vessel. It was given to him through revelation for you. So we see that there is a divine purpose for heaven pouring out, pouring down, pouring out, so it can be imparted and transferred into other people. When I hear people talk about legacy, I never hear them talk about the grace. It takes a grace to raise legacy. Because you cannot leave what you cannot leave what you've not legally obtained from heaven. Spiritual legacy we're talking about. Something from the heavenlies has to be legally, righteously obtained, carried, worked out before it can be distributed into others. Because there are things involved in the grace that you don't know and don't understand. And that's why it's been given to one person to impart it into others. So the understanding that what came from this downpour is not the understanding that's out there. But if he's a righteous man, he'll make it known so that those can understand it. So that they can run with it and do the same thing. Does that make sense? Things cannot be made known unto you until grace is imparted. And this is why you and I have lack and needs. Because there are certain things that need to be known and seen inside us. When I come to a place and I hear someone speaking and I go, ah, my eyes have been opened. I could never add my eyes open had I not been in that place and listening to that person speak. So by the Spirit of God, God, through the words of another, has opened my eyes to see what I lack and what I need. This is why we need revelation and the Spirit of God inside the church so that people can see by the Spirit what they lack and need, not just by the voice of the preacher. I can say to Lisa, Lisa, you lack this, you lack that, lack this. But that's not what God's saying, that's just my perception. But if... If by the Spirit of God she sees and hears what God's saying to her, grace can come to her in that area. She can cry out for grace in that area. Yes, it's true. Being received, uh, by receiving the grace, understanding is then given to things you could not once work out or understand. There's a new understanding that if you're going to write this new chapter, understanding has to come. There's a grace that has to come to your life so that this chapter is different from the other chapters. Or you'll just repeat the same story if nothing changes. You can't just have a new page and keep and say, go on, make the same mistakes. David quite eloquently said, you know, when you got a new book in school, that new book was brilliant. You didn't want to make any mistakes, but it didn't take long before you made them. Why? Because the same habits the same thinking that was in page two, the, the previous book, is now carried over into the new book. So it takes a new grace, a new level of grace to bring us into something so we can rise above the mistakes we were making previously. And we can eradicate the lack and the need that's there previously. It takes something different to change what you've always had. Spiritual dimensions cannot come to your life Without you seeing the need for more grace. You see, when you got saved, you got saved through the saving grace of God. And, and that was a gift given to you, not by your own works, but by heaven. So, so far you've done nothing. 
The grace came to you, it was given to you, and you did nothing except receive what was given to you. But now, now, grace has various dimensions and manifestations and different reasons for it it being given. So there is saving grace. Then there is empowering grace. Then there is sustaining grace. Then there is a governing grace. This is one grace, but many dimensions. Just like you have one spirit, but many gifts. It's the same grace, but it has different workings, different manifestations. So it's not just saving us. There's more we need to understand about how to walk and work in the grace of God. The charismatics emphasize the anointing. Everything's the anointing. And though not minimizing the anointing, let's not just make that as the only thing. See, if I've got the anointing and you haven't, you want to touch my garment so you can have what I have. It doesn't work like that. You can't just take what I've got just by touching me. Healing, you can. You can touch, you can get healing like that. But you cannot get statue like that. Things have to be worked inside your life. If you can get everything I've got just by touching me, how, how weird's that? So the same, by the same definition, you can put everything that's bad into me just by touching me. Yeah. That doesn't work. That's not right. But in charismania, we've said, touch the man of God, touch the man of God, and I can get what he's got. It's wrong. It doesn't work like that. Things have to be imparted. Things have to be worked through. Before the man, the woman, becomes like those they've received it from. We've all, we all made mistakes doing that. We all made mistakes. Oh, just touching the man of God if he just comes in. And here he is like, you know, comes in in his nice white suit. And now we're blowing everyone. Oh, we'll all receive. Now we're all like such and such a body. No, it doesn't work like that. Colossians. Yeah, all over the world. All over the world, Colossians 1 verse 6. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it's always been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. All over the world, every tribe, every culture, every nature, the gospel is bearing fruit. And growing. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras. Our dear fellow servant who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And who also told us of your love in the spirit. Now just think of this verse for a minute. I love the fact that the gospel is working all over the world. The fact that you may not get it working in your life does not mean to say it's not working in others. The fact that Britain's not managed to get Christianity working in its streets does not mean to say that other nations are not finding revival and awakening in their nation. Christianity's working and it's growing and it's bearing fruit. The issue is... It doesn't seem to be bearing fruit in the West. I wonder why that is. Because when I look at China, China's got materialism. 
Not all around, just not all over the country, but it's growing and growing and growing. But you know what? I see the Chinese hunger, hungry for the righteousness. I see the underground church pressing into God for this kingdom and his righteousness. Wherever there is a hunger and, and a desire and a pursuit of the kingdom and its righteousness, the gospel bears fruit. Now, materialism, westernization, all these nations who are not Western want to become like the West. They want the prosperity of the West. They may not want to become like the West in every way, in every shape, but they want the prosperity of the West. But the trouble is, materialism will neutralize all faith. Because people will put the security in their goods, not in their gods. Because it's the nature of man. Once his needs are met, he switches off and he doesn't need to seek or pursue anything other than his needs. So his gods keep him on his knees, keep him believing that if I serve this God like that, all my needs will be met and God will be pleased with me. But that's not Christianity. It's amazing how many times people go to the temple each day. How many Hindus go to the temple each day? How many Muslims pray each day? And the Christian, Christians, once you get a Christian prosperous, he is dead from the neck upwards. Because he doesn't believe he needs anything else because I've got all my needs met. This is why the kingdom and its righteousness will separate the wheat from the chaff. It will separate the nations. It will divide everyone. Why? Am I saying you can't have luxury? No, I didn't say you can't have luxury. It's all about what you put first. Because the moment you turn around and say, he's got more than me, so therefore he can't be a Christian, that's wrong. Because we can't define Christianity by what you own and what you don't own. We define my faith by where my heart is, where my treasure is. Where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. And if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then I expect some treasure to be there. Your father knows what you need. Seek first and he's happy to supply what you need once you put him first. But you know that young people are told, get a career, push, 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 push. So excel in life. And you know, there's an element of truth in all that. But if you push your kids too far, they'll go too far. And there'll be no righteousness to keep them to say no. They, they won't know the point of where no is. Our job is not just to stand there and pray for them. Our job is to teach them and pray for them. Well, I just pray for my children every day. Yeah, but if you don't teach them where the point of no is, you're going to make your prayer a lot harder. Teach them and pray with them. It's the way, it's the only way. Raising kids is the most difficult thing in life. Not when the babies, that's easy time. Though it seems hard at the time. It's when they start going to secondary school and they get other influences and they're doing things and the phone's going. These phones, are I tell you, they're a nuisance. As much as they're a blessing to us, they're an absolute nuisance. What our kids are up to. The internet, man alive, did we ever realise it was going to become the mess it has. And our kids are up to all kinds of things and we think, what are they doing? What are we doing? Oh, we're all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. And behind, there's all kinds of deceit and lies. 
You as a parent have got to pick that up. God, give me eyes to see what's not seen. Make the, vis- make the invisible visible. So when I walk in that room, I know my kids are not in good, good shape. And I can go and approach my kids. And I can go and approach the father first about my kids. And then when I go and speak to my kids, I can have the word of knowledge that will break open the deceit and the lies behind. And I can always then speak to my children at the level they need to be spoken. That takes a grace and a wisdom to be able to raise families. You know what? You either go to the wall for your families or your families will go to the wall. This is so true. We either go to the wall and rebuild our families now in the spirit or our families will go to the wall. And when your families have gone to the wall, it's a lot harder. You may never, ever win them back. So your job is not to go, not to let that, your family go to the wall, but you stand at the wall and rebuild it from inside. Amen? Rise and build. We sang the first song this morning. Rise and build. It's an attitude. You need a grace to do it. We need a grace to secure some things in this house. We need a grace to secure some things in the house and we need some, a grace to secure things over the house. These are very troubling times. But I'm confident that we're going to step into a grace that's going to empower us to hold things together. And this is why this grace has to be seen by each one of us. I'm not promising you that slick, slimy anointing that people want to rub on your head and just think everything's going to be okay now. No, we're going to have to work on the grace and understand what we lack and what we need. And trust God to meet us in those areas. Rather than expecting revival or the anointing to fix every problem. I'm not undermining the anointing, by the way. I understand how it's supposed to be used. I just don't want your expectations to be wrongly uh, imagined by what you've seen out there. Because charismatics think it's like a bucket. They just throw it on everybody. The anointing. And your life will change. Well, guess what? Very few people, don't, lives don't change. And that's not because of the anointing. It's because of the way it's administered. So, encapsulated within this grace are layers of truth. Truth that you don't have at this point. But as the grace is imparted, levels of truth. Would you like to be able to walk in your room and see you and, and see in the spirit and know by the spirit what decisions you need to make? Of course you would. Things that if a grace doesn't come to us, we can't step closer to destiny. So truth has to come to our life. So I ask you again, what truth does your future need? This is a very, very significant question. Because if I don't know what my future needs, how can I acquire the truth that will get me there? And truth is carried in people. And truth is carried in books. And truth is carried in the spirit. Truth is carried in many, many dimensions. You need to know what you need so when it's in front of you, you know how to move towards it. If you don't know what you need, how do you ever recognize when God's trying to supply it to you? And it variously, invariably always comes through people. From above. Those men who have received it for you. 
If our eyes are not open to see what grace has been caught in the spirit and wants to be imparted for me, I'm never in the right place at the right time. And I need that grace and you need that grace. We need this grace. If you think that you're going to get to where you really want to get to in life just by doing what you've always done, dream on. If you seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, then you are obligated to work out what's being worked in. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but more so in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now here's the last bit you want to work on. Do everything without arguing and complaining. Wish we had some Christians who just do things without arguing and complaining. I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying Christians in general. Now let's, let's just pick that verse up a second. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, that's a good place. He's talking to a people who have obeyed. They've got a good history of obeying. Not only in my presence, but in my absence. Now, let me just stop here. Your children will, will not always obey in your presence. We know that. That's why they get a clip around the ear all. But I guarantee your children won't always obey in your absence. Because when the mice away, when the cat's away, the mice will always play. Or they'll look to play and push the boundaries. We've all been mice. But when you're, when you're the, uh, the cat, you don't like the idea, you resent the idea that the mice will play. Oh, you mean the same game that you played? Ah, but I wasn't as bad as my kids. Says who? Yes, you was. Because it is the nature of a child to experiment and push the boundaries. It is the responsibility of the parent to remind the children and teach the children of the boundaries they must not go beyond. But most kids think to themselves, ah, that was dad's boundary. What does he know? We're smarter than our parents. So then we'll step into areas because our dads are, our mums and dads are old. What do they know? You know, you want to you embarrass your kid, just kiss your, your, your wife and your husband in front of your kids. And your kids go, oh, 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 get a room, get a room. <laughs> kids think that mum and dad never kiss. They don't, kids don't understand how they got here. It's because mum and dad merged and urged. Right? They merged their urge. But kids think, no, that's, they've all passed all that now. Says who? The issue is, we know the boundaries because we broke them. I'd like to say I was a good boy, but that would be so unrighteous of me to say I was a good boy. I was not a good boy, and I'm not advocating bad behavior. What I am saying is, my bad boys never got me anywhere other than in trouble. And I want to save my children from the same trouble in a different generation. It's the same pain, just played out in a different way. Therefore, I, want, I would desire, my heart's desire is in my absence. So when you leave this building, right now you're in my presence. 
But when you leave this building, in my absence, in our absence as a leadership, you know how to conduct yourselves in a righteous way. That brings great joy to the leadership. That it's great to see our people walking in the truth. In our absence. That's got to be the proudest, and I say proud in the right in a right manner. It's got to be the proudest pastor who can say, my people are walk righteously because they've been taught the right way. They've received the grace to walk right way. And therefore, it's amazing how much counseling you don't need to do. When people respond to what's being spoken. It's amazing how my life changed when I started listening to what people were telling me. My mother said, I've been telling you that for years. Well, mum, once I was blind, now I can see. So whatever grace is released and wherever it is released, those partaking of it can begin to receive a rich supply of grace that they never had before. And you can see things and you can see dimensions, you see ways of dealing with problems. You know, I, I, said to, I say to little Harper all the time, I say, Harper, don't grow up. I said, will you stay this size forever? I said, you're such cute, you're, you're gorgeous. She said, I've got to grow up. She knows she's got to grow up. And then I say to Ella, Ella, you stay. Can you and Ella just stay? You and Harper stay at this age. Why? Because you're so cute and you're, and you're so lovable. And, and I just fear when she starts getting into secondary school, that how that gorgeous nature that's inside her heart, others will come along and start to plant weeds in her garden. And then as it begins to change her heart, Harper begins to look at Ella, the girl, the sister she looks up to. And then she follows in her way. And before you know it, now you have a different pattern beginning to take hold of the next generation. We need a grace. We need a grace to be able to stand on that path and pluck those weeds out before our garden gets contaminated. I am so, so, so concerned about us as a house. About securing our legacy. It's the one thing that beats in my heart more than anything else. I find, I'm trying to find the way out to protect you from you. If I can protect you from you, then you'll protect yourself from others. And there has to be a grace of God coming upon our lives to prevent and stop this nonsense, and to stop the patterns. And we want a people that will seek God and his righteousness first and foremost. And then the grace of God can then be released in our hearts to to become the people we were always designed to become. Let's stand to our feet. I could talk a lot more, but I won't. This grace... On this new chapter, grace has to be included. There has to be a grace for the race. Grace for the race. A new grace for the race. So therefore, we don't get lost. We don't trip up. We don't become entangled. Well, what we do, we become empowered to jump past the obstacles, go around the obstacles see where the enemy's trying to trap us and we're able to step and make in, uh, step into Christ we're able to make wise decisions why? because there's a new grace coming to us for our race and if we don't see it church our children 
You know, it's all right saying our children, our children, but you as the parent have to, have to rise to the next level so your children have got the next level. If you don't rise as a parent and stay on that level, eventually your children will copy you and surpass you. You've got to keep on receiving so you stay above them. Your wisdom is always speaking to them. You can't give 30 years ago as your greatest reason why your kids can't do something. Because if if your only point is your historical past, true as it may be, true as it may be, it's not enough. You've got to be able to untangle the nonsense inside the heads and inside the hearts. And you need a wisdom to be able to speak and dispel the works of darkness and the seeds of darkness trying to operate in your family. Yes. Go to the wall for your family or let your family go to the wall. It takes a new grace to run this race and for your children to run their race. It's a different course. It's a different course, but guess what? I'm concerned from the, from the youngest to the oldest. Legacy is not just in children. Legacy is right through. From mum to dad to children. From children to mum to dad. All the way. So let's raise our hands if we will. In your new chapter, consider the grace. The grace that comes in all its truth. There is a truth that needs to come to your new chapter that can only come to you through you pursuing the grace. There is no such thing as grace without truth. Truth in grace. Grace in truth. It's part of the same thing. It's not, grace is not just something invisible. It comes with truth. And the truth, the Bible says, I pray that you be established in present truth. The grace supplies the truth. So Father, right now, I pray for every family. Oh God, let this grace come upon every man, woman in this house, oh God. Let it come upon the youth next door. Let it come upon the children next door. Let it come upon the babies upstairs. Let it come upon every male and female in this room, Father. Let the whole house be filled with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, show us, I pray, oh God, show everyone inside this house the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Father, bring these three dimensions into our hearts. More and more, oh God, build your people by these principles, by these dimensions. So Father, right now I release a grace over your people. Father, I thank you, O oh God, that as you keep, re- you keep releasing grace to my life, truth to my life, O oh God, I pray, Father, that the eyes of the people's heart may be opened in order that they may see and know the hope to which they have been called. Yes. Father, I believe in Paul's prayer to the Ephesians church that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we may discover that we may know that maybe we will lay hold of the grace and the truth that brings us into a greater revelation and understanding father i ask in jesus name for your people let it be so in this house in jesus name and the people of god said
Amen. Think of these things, church. Think on these things. Please don't let it be a Sunday morning preach. Let it become words of wisdom to your life. Amen.